What to do in the middle of the night when you're in a hospital bed? The answer is not sleep, at least not for very long. Someone asked me if I was using my time well, if I was reading, if I was uh, listening to sermons even, I was asked. I won't say who asked, but I was asked. I did not read and I did not listen to any podcast of sermons from Dauphinway. Not Sheila's, not Wood's, not Bruce's, not mine, not Dr. Bishop's. I simply didn't have the energy to think. And I think you have to think when you hear a good sermon. So there were no sermons, and there in the wee hours, as the industrial air conditioner was roaring outside my window, and the tick, tick, tick of the IV pump kept time, I took out my phone and I looked at pictures of my wife and my children and especially my grandchildren. It was the most pleasant, comforting thing I could think to do. It is wonderful to be loved, isn't it? And I was reminded then that I was loved. What if, what if we could somehow quantify the energy of all the love in this room, of this brand family for this precious baby, of our love for our spouses, our siblings, our parents, our friends, both those here and those who've gone before us. Imagine the enormity of that if we could somehow quantify it. Or what if we could somehow gather all the love in this room into a single focus that could somehow share it as a single outpouring of affection. Imagine the power the force of that love. Love is real. Love is powerful. Love never fails. And yet as real as our love is, as real as and powerful as our love is, it is but a shadow of the love that God has for us all. We love because God first loved us. We love because God is love. We love because we are made in God's image. And to be made in God's image means that we have the capacity for love. We have the need for love. We have the desire for love. And God's love does not fail. It is pure. It is persistent. It is powerful in all circumstances. God's love works in wonderfully strange and unpredictable ways. And today I want to share one of them with you. In 1747, Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, wrote a parable. I mean, excuse me, wrote a parody of lines from a poem that had been written by John Dryden and set to music by Henry Purcell. The poem that Charles Wesley parodied was this. Fairest isle, all isles excelling, 
seat of pleasures and of loves. Venus here will choose her dwelling and forsake her Cyprian groves. You probably never heard that. It was part of Purcell's King Arthur opera. Charles Wesley's spiritual parody goes like this. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. And those lines were meant to be a kind of insider's joke. An insider's joke between John Wesley and Charles Wesley a sign that they could see beyond the cultural currents of their time. And that was what Charles meant it to be. And yet John, and when he sees this poem, he recognizes something more than Charles's cleverness. He sees in these words a wonderful affirmation, and he encourages John to finish the poem. It is finally set to music, and we just sang it a moment ago, and then the choir just sang it, and we're going to sing it again before we leave. It is that hymn, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. It is one of, if not the most magnificent hymn, I think it's the most magnificent hymn in all the church. And amazingly, it started out as a parody, and God was able to bring from it something truly great and magnificent. So I want to spend just a few moments looking at four of the major theological themes of love divine, all love's excelling. Now, there are many, many wonderful sub-themes in this hymn, but I want us to look only at four because we really only have time for that. And so you need to take your hymnal and you need to open it up. It's in the pew there in front of you. And you need to turn to page 384. You've already been there once today. Turn to number 384 and just sort of follow along. The hymn begins with its line, Love divine, all love's excelling. And then Charles Wesley goes on to affirm, Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure, unbounded love thou art. In teaching us to pray, Jesus tells us that we are to address God as our Father. And the Aramaic term, Abba, is not a formal title. It is a word of intimacy, of compassion, of familiarity. It is as if we would say, Daddy. To call God Father is to say that God's love is like that of a parent or a grandparent. It is familial, it is caring, it is compassionate. In inviting us to sing Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, Charles Wesley is affirming that God's love is like the purest and the best that we know, and yet it is purer and better than that. It is the source of all love. Jesus is all compassion. The totality of who God is is compassion. His love is pure and unbounded. It is without taint. It is without limit. It just goes on and on. And never is there a place where it stops. Sisters and brothers, this is the great contribution we Methodists have to make to the world. 
in the days of the Wesleys as in our day, the love of God is often presented as being in tension with, if not conflict, with God's wrath. It is as if the church will say, God loves us, but, and then other things are elaborated upon. The crudest expression of this is the preacher who said, God loves you, and if you don't believe it, he'll send you to hell. The Wesleys run counter to this. Our message runs counter to this. Yes, we take sin seriously, but we affirm without hesitation that God is love, period. No conflicts, no contradictions, no conditions. No exceptions. God's nature is love. And so John Wesley would say, love is the end of all the commandments of God. Love is the end, the sole end of every dispensation from the beginning of the world to its consummation. And love will endure when heaven and earth flee away, for love alone never fails. The Wesleys are not the least bit hesitant, not the least bit afraid, not the least bit embarrassed to declare that God is love, period. Neither should we be hesitant or afraid to know that God is love is to have our hearts set at liberty. Our vision team has been examining some surveys of people in our neighborhood. And when asked about their understanding of God, their belief in God, their, their hope about God, do you know what the people in our neighborhood said? The number one answer the people in our neighborhood want to believe that God is love, that God is gracious. And yet in that same survey, when those same people were asked, why might you not go to church? The answer was, the church is judgmental. And so here we have our neighbors yearning to know that God is love and looking at the church and seeing something different. To say that God is love is the message that matters most of all. Charles Wesley prays that the Holy Spirit may enter every trembling heart. Every trembling heart. Our hearts tremble with desire to know that God really does love us. And so Wesley is praying that the deep truth of God's love might dawn upon those who want so much to know that it is true. 
Brother Wesley goes on to affirm that the joy of heaven is to earth come down. This is the incarnation. This is the word made flesh in dwelling among us. You see, God does not love us from a distance. God loves us up close and personal. God loves us by becoming one of us, taking on our humanity, facing what we face. Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. That is at the core of the prayer we pray. In Jesus, God's will is done on earth as in heaven. Jesus does God's will on earth as in heaven. And in Christ, we do as well. The eternal bliss of heaven is present with us in this world of waning time and sorrow. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, Jesus, or or Charles Wesley says. The humble dwelling of God is in that manger in Bethlehem. The humble dwelling of God in us is Jesus, the boy who startles the leaders in the temple. Jesus walking the dusty roads of the Holy Land. Jesus dying on a cross outside Jerusalem. That is the dwelling of God with us. And following upon that reality of incarnation, the incarnation of Christ, of God in Christ, is Christ indwelling us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, Charles Wesley prays. And that is both an affirmation of God's incarnation in Christ, and it is a prayer for Christ to indwell us. And so Charles Wesley goes on to pray, Breathe, O breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all thy life receive, suddenly return, and never, never more thy temples leave. We are God's temple. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God's life in us is the inward witness that we are God's children, that we are love. It is the assurance And so knowing that we are so deeply loved and having that inward witness of God's spirit that we are God's children, we yearn for the life of God in us. God's indwelling to be a constant life-giving force in everything we do. And all of this leads finally to the goal of our life in Christ. It is what those early Christians and Method, early Methodists call Christian perfection or sanctification. And so Wesley says, glory in thy perfect love. To pray for God's kingdom to come on earth, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray that we may become and that the world may become as God intends it to be. Our sanctification, our perfection in love is nothing less than growing into the divine image. It is becoming the very ones God made us to be. It is growing into our maturity as persons who have the capacity to receive, embody, and act upon the love of God. It is to love as God loves. And again, John Wesley says, love existed from all eternity. In God, the great ocean of love. Love has a place in all the children of God. From the moment of their creation, they receive at once from their gracious creator. 
to exist, to be alive, and to love. And so Charles teaches us to sing prayerfully, take away our bent to sinning. Alpha and Omega be end of faith is its beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. Finish then thy new creation. We are new creatures in Christ. We are being transformed through the life of Christ. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee. Till we surrender all of our sense of who we are to you, O Lord. Lost. Consumed. In wonder. In love. In praise. This is entire salvation. This is going to heaven. But this is not slinking into heaven merely as a sinner forgiven with heads hanging low and hearts heavy. Sisters and brothers, this is walking into heaven with our heads held high. Not merely as sinners forgiven, but as sinners transformed. As sinners turned into saints as persons who are able to love as God loves. This is perfection in love. Jesus teaches us to forgive others as God forgives us. In other words, to love others as God loves us with mercy, with kindness, with forgiveness. We do not achieve this by our own effort. It is the work of God. It is the work of grace. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are loved into loving. We are forgiven into forgiving. It is the realization of our true humanity. It is the restoration of God's image. It is the thing that must happen and that can happen so that God's name be hallowed. It is the thing that will happen when we are there in that place that Jesus has prepared for us. But it begins here. It happens here as well as we live into, into grace. So one of the nights in the hospital, the hour was particularly late and particularly long and the battery on the phone had expired and I could no longer pull up the pictures. And I prayed. I thought of all those who love me. I thought of you. I think it was three Sundays ago, maybe four, I can't remember. It's been sort of a blur, but I was here one Sunday. I didn't preach. Sheila preached. I was here 
It was on the first Sunday in August. We had communion. We received communion. And so I, I was sort of, you all know, I was sort of shaky. And I was sitting over there as you came to receive Holy Communion. And it was for me a moment of pure ecstasy to see your faces as you came to the Lord's table. To know the love of God for all of us, for you, for me, for your love for me that you had expressed in so many wonderful ways and for just the privilege of loving you. What a beautiful thing. And that night as I prayed and remembered you and remembered that day, I thought love divine. All love's excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Oh Lord, fix in us thy humble dwelling. All thy faithful mercies crown. And so you've held your place at number 384. And we're going to sing it again. We're going to sing it to a different tune. We're going to sing it to Hifridal. That is the tune to come thou long expected Jesus. You have to sort of think Advent here for a moment, tune-wise. Come thou long expected Jesus. Colleen's going to play the piano, which means we really need to hear from you. Let's sing this. Let's really sing it. And, and let's let those words really come Come out. Let's hear those words. As we stand and sing number 384, love divine, all loves excelling. <laughs> 